You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits. What up, rookies, and welcome to episode 25 of the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson. As always, this is presented by Upland Brits. Also, thank you to Yukonuba Sporting Dog, Trinity Bretons, and Pointer Traditions. Hey, with Pointer Traditions, uh, use promo code ROOKIE15 to save 15% off your order uh, from Pointer Traditions. Um, you're thinking, hey, what, what does Pointer Traditions have that I need? Dog collars. Yes. Badass. Fantastic dog collars. Um, I'm using both these on Gage and Win, and they are just fantastic. I love the way they look. Love their color schemes. Um, durable. I love them. Uh, so check out Pointer Traditions. They will do custom sizes for you, which was a huge, huge selling point for me uh, with my small Brits. I wanted a one inch thick collar, but a little bit shorter neck size, and they came through and delivered. So uh, thank you to the Pointer Traditions team. Uh, also with Trinity Bretons, go back to last week's episode if you have not listened already. Uh, I did an episode with Josh Ryder from Trinity Bretons. Uh, fantastic episode. I think uh, got a lot of good feedback so far. We talked trials, breeding, Epignol Bretons, uh, learn more about Josh's uh, story growing up and, and getting into uh, bird dogs. So don't miss that one. Uh, that was uh, a really fun conversation last week, episode 24. Also, I promised you on last week's episode that I was going to announce the newest sponsor of the podcast. And I am proud to say that newest sponsor is Gunner Kennels. Yes, Gunner Kennels. I could not be more excited uh, to, one, have Gunner Kennels and using Gunner Kennels. They are um, the kennel I have been looking for. And I'm actually going to unpack in this intro a little bit more of what I have been looking for in a kennel, kind of my own, uh, I don't know if you want to call it scoring system or a review system of kennels. Um, Because if you've been following me for any amount of time, you are going to know I've tried literally every kennel brand out on the market besides the the pet mate, I think, if that's even a, a thing. But tried every, every big kennel brand out there over the last four years. And um, I have come up with kind of a, a system that I, as I'm, I'm, I have a kennel, I review it, I, I feel it, I am using it, uh, have kind of a system that I use and criteria that I'm looking for um, to review this kennel. So um, anyways, Gunner Kennels, thank you so much. I'm really, really excited um, to have you guys uh, helping sponsor this podcast, making this all possible. Um, Okay, first disclaimer, um, I am in the middle of a cold right now, so if I don't sound fantastic, that is why three of our kids were sick last week and two are sick this week. So just a fair heads up, if I sound miserable, that is why. Okay, all right, now we can move on. Sip my coffee. All right, um, so uh, first off with Gunner Kennels, um, just full transparency. I bought 
to kennels uh, myself um, without a sponsorship, without intention of, of having a sponsorship with them. So I just want that to be clear. Um, after I had these kennels and we were using them for a while, got connected with Gunner and figured out a sponsorship with them. So just full transparency, I like to just let you guys know um, how this went down. I didn't just get free stuff or whatever because I have a podcast. I bought these kennels myself after the fact. It just so happened and it worked out. Um, got a sponsor- sponsorship with them. So full transparency, I just like to be upfront with everyone and share all those good details. Anyways, um, I'm going to go through what I look for in a kennel and I'll, I'll kind of chat briefly about what Gunner has, uh, what I've seen in their, in their kennels that really has stood out to me. So, um, my, my five categories that I've, I've looked through in kennels are size. And I say size for my Britney's. Okay. It's going to be different for everyone. Size for my Britney's door quality and locks overall build quality, safety rating, and customer service. Yes, those are my five categories. Um, now, I will say, um, like I mentioned, I've tried all the major kennel brands out there. Rufflin, Primos, Dakota, and now Gunner. Yes, I think it's a big four. Yeah, yeah, big four. So I've tried all those ones. Um, these kennels, I'm not going to go into two specifics on each of these other kennels, but some of the ones I've used have, have knocked it out of the park with some of these categories, which I've been very happy with, but then other areas I've just not been happy with. So I was kind of on the pursuit and just fine tuning, like the setup that worked for me. I know that's going to be so different for each and every person out there. Size, quality, like we're all going to value different things. So I understand that. I hope you understand that as well. What I value and what I place as a priority is going to differ from every person out there, probably. So, again, size. Um, size for my Britneys. Um, I I don't need a, a huge ass kennel for a little forty pound Britney. I just don't. And some other kennels out there knocked out of the park in some categories with their doors and quality, all this kind of stuff, but the size was just too darn big. Um, one for safety. Say you don't want a huge kennel for your dog. You don't want a ton of extra space. Again, God forbid, you know, you got into an accident or something happened. You don't want a ton of extra room where your dog's getting thrown from one end of the kennel to the other. Um, that's just going to create uh, more, um, more harm for your dog than good. So you want a little bit, you know, of a tighter, size kennel for your dog where it's they again accident happens and they're not being thrown from one end to the other um the other was just for my setup um i have the the lear topper and the deck system in my pickup and i um i needed it to fit on the deck but not and be able to slide in and out and without hitting the topper and so some kennels out there did that some have not and uh the gunners fit absolutely perfectly um on that deck and uh and under that topper so super excited there that was a, a huge win for me um and uh yeah the other thing was was versatility 99 percent of the time they're in the back of the pickup but once in a while i, I do want to throw them in the in the back seat and so i can get two of these gunner medium kennels uh back to back in the back seat of my of my f-150 um so versatility and options there just just gives me some flexibility if i have if i'm hauling something or something's in the back of the pickup um, i can have the option to uh to move them so again 
Some kennels were able to do that. Some were not just because of, of their size. Um, okay, so that's size. It's the first thing I look at. Door quality and locks. Um, this is a huge one for me, actually. I just really want a quality, strong, smooth door. It's it's a huge deal. And uh, uh, quality, we'll go off first. Just want to, uh, yeah, quality. Build quality is nice. Um, these Gunner kennels are all stainless steel hardware. Um just there's tough as nails um locks locks is a big one a uh, couple things with that um i wanted something that could lock with a key just gives me that peace of mind if i'm going to eat somewhere or um you know whatnot it's lock their their kennel doors with a key and, and have that peace of mind um the other thing is those of you who are using gunner kennels or kennel with uh you know young kids around young toddlers maybe um uh, if you don't Okay, when my dogs are at the house, I'm not locking the you know the key to their kennel door. But little toddlers love to go over to the, that little paddle lock or the paddle uh, latch on a, on a kennel door and just open it because it's super easy. It's super fun to you know let the dog out of the kennel when dad's not looking. Um, so what these gunner kennels have, which is fan freaking tastic, is on top and bottom they have kind of an extra like push latch. That's really freaking tough for a toddler to manipulate, and that is just a, f- a best idea I've seen. Because I, you know, when I put them in there, I you know close the door and then just do sometimes just one of those latches, uh, and the toddler are not getting in that kennel. So it, it has become kind of a safety thing. Um, there's a, a kennel I used a while back that didn't. It, I, if I didn't use the key. Um, the toddlers would constantly just go out to the garage, open that door, and dogs would be, or would be uh, free running <laughs> around our neighborhood. So um, definitely not safe and uh, just, yeah, just kind of annoying. So anyways, this this is a, a, a really, really nice part. Um, again, I just don't want to have to be using a key every single time I, I put them in their kennels. So um, that worked out really, really well. Um, overall build quality. Um, that's a uh, third category. Um, these things are just freaking overbuilt um in the best way possible um super tough uh super safe and this kind of comes with a fine balance of weight um if you are you know moving these kennels in and out of say the house or the garage to your truck or or back and forth um you don't want to you know a kennel that's so freaking heavy that you know i have a bad back i have a couple herniated discs in my back bulge disc, all that good stuff. And I just have to be careful and smart with kind of what I'm lifting, how I'm lifting it. And so, um, I did get the medium size, which again, size wise, ideal for my dogs. Um, and there's, but they're just not so heavy that I dread picking them up or I dread bringing them out, you know, cleaning them in the backyard. So, um, but the build quality is, you can tell it's there as soon as you open the box and, and get this thing out, it is there. Um, so yeah, freaking amazing. I love it. Um, safety rating kind of goes into build quality, I think, but just um, this is a, a big factor of having something that the company stood behind as a, as far as a safety rating goes and, and the testing really. Uh, Gunner has put a lot of um, a lot of testing into their kennels uh, with crash test uh, ratings and, and tests. And I, that's just really appealing really appealing to me. The more I'm traveling, the more I'm on the road with my dogs, uh, God forbid something happens and, you know, get into an accident, having that peace of mind, um, with, 
your dogs in the back. Um, we have so much invested into our bird dogs, guys. Um, time, money, effort, sweat, tears, blood, <laughs> you name it. Uh, we have so much invested into these dogs that it, it was really, really appealing to me to have something with a company really standing behind uh, and putting in the work to do testing uh, for uh, crashes. And so big thing uh, that I, I really enjoyed, uh, really appreciated with this company. Last category is customer service. This is huge, guys, for any company that I'm dealing with. Um, customer service is king. Um, Gunner has been fantastic from, for last actually couple years, I've, I've reached out to them randomly different times because I almost pulled the trigger on kennels a while back and was kind of asking them some questions about the kennels and always super responsive, friendly. They'd go in depth to, you know, answer my question. And I, it just, that has been consistent for the last couple of years with Gunner. Um, purchasing these new kennels, you know, working out, you know, sponsorship with them for the podcast, just fantastic people. Um, and that goes a, a really, really long way um, to gaining my business, my trust. And I will, I will definitely be a supporter uh, of Gunner Kennels for a long, 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 long freaking time. Um, so a couple bonus things with these kennels. Um, one, the carry handles are included. You don't have to buy them separately like some companies, um, which is really nice. And also the bottom of the kennels have grip feet on them, which is huge being on a deck system. Um, I do strap these down, um, pretty much all the time, but, uh, if I have to toss them in there and just go for a quick, quick ride somewhere, um, the kennels aren't sliding around. And these grip feet are, are, are heavy duty. They're fantastic. So really, really have enjoyed those. Um, so overall, guys, that's that's kind of my process of, of kind of what I was looking for um, in in a kennel. Again, it, it fits my needs. It fits, uh, it fits me. So if you haven't checked out Gunner Kennels already, um, highly, highly suggest you do so. Um, it's just been fantastic. So I'll shut up. You're probably getting annoyed at me talking about my kennels. I, I know. <laughs> When you when you get a, uh, a gear junkie like me with with new products and, and new gear like that, I just I start waking out a little bit. So it's I get excited. But anyways, guys, that's it again. Thank you to Gunner Kennels. Um, all right. A couple things before we jump into the episode. I got Travis Warren on from Upchucker podcast. Uh, I am really, really excited to have uh, Travis on. I have followed Travis, um, gosh, from almost day one of when I got my bird dog. And uh, kind of fun fact here is Travis and the Upchucker podcast was one of the first podcasts I listened to uh, right after I got my bird dog, a uh, first upland hunting podcast. Um, I don't know what compelled me to kind of poke around and look for a hunting podcast, but I did. And Travis's uh, podcast was the first one uh, I stumbled across and I was hooked uh, shortly after that, got into Nick Larson's podcast and, and all that good stuff. And so went down this, this slippery slope of, uh, the Upland podcast world. And so Travis, you honestly, brother have just been a, a big inspiration to me, uh, following you for a long time. And, um, you put in, you're, you've put out some amazing, amazing stuff, some great interviews. Um, so if you haven't checked out Travis's podcast, the Up Chucker podcast, check that out uh, wherever you listen to your shows. But anyways, um, hey, don't forget, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast and uh, share the episode with a friend. Share it on social media, tag the Upland Rookie. Um, yeah, share it with your friends. Help get the word out there to more hunters. 
just like you. All right, guys, enjoy. Well, cool, man. That's, that's, that was kind of fun talking podcasting for a little bit, but um, yeah. we're gonna we're yeah. gonna kind of dive in here. Uh, I actually want to start off with something kind of fun. I know I actually see your your you got your decked hat on. Uh, talk about your your deck system and a little bit about your truck setup. Actually, uh, I know you got that fairly recently, right? Why don't you talk about what you're uh, what you're rocking and why you made the change? Well, you know, I had a, a built-in wood system, a wood and carpeted. Uh, uh, sleep system, bed system, whatever you want to call it, uh, that had storage along the sides. I actually repurposed it. My buddy and I found it in his grandpa's old barn. It was for like a 78 step side Ford or something. So we took it over to his dad's house and did some, uh, some remanufacturing, recarpeting, uh, had like some, some like seventies blue shag carpet on it and with like rat feces and it was just <laughs> disgusting. Um, so I had that in and I had that for many, many years. It was actually a really, uh, a great piece considering the fact that it didn't pay anything for it. Uh, it actually did really well. And then it just sort of gave up the ghost a couple seasons ago. Uh, and so I ended up ripping it out, realized actually how much space I had in the back of the truck <laughs> and uh, ended up just consolidating all my recovery gear. Because uh, that's essentially what I would keep in the truck mostly was yeah. all my recovery gear. I just consolidated it all into a uh, uh one of those yellow and black costco tubs oh yeah yep i got and so 12 of those behind me <laughs> so yeah those things are uh, a dime a dozen in my house and uh you know it was uh, it worked okay but the problem was is that when you start uh throwing a set of four chains in there a bottle jack um you know a large star wrench you know and it sort of just adds up in weight and then trying to actually move that thing from the very front of the truck or the very front of the bed all the way to the back where you could utilize it <laughs> you didn't enough throw your back out just trying to pull that thing up and so it was not very although it was cheap and it was doable and it worked very well it was actually just not efficient um and i actually missed having uh, a raised sleeping platform that I could sleep on, uh, that was off of the metal. And so anyways, uh, so my buddy, my, my good buddy, hunting partner, uh, Matt Harding actually works for decked. And so he was able to get me connected and get me one, uh, which was really nice. And so I work with decked obviously now. Nice, um, nice. and, and it's, it's it, for me being somebody who is immense, just likes to be organized. Sure. Uh, it's actually something that has been a really, uh, has been a great pleasure to have, uh, I've actually got it organized now. I just put a video together that I'll be putting out, um, on how I have it organized for bird season. Oh, right on. It, it has the locking box. Each side is locked, has sure. locks on it. And, so and sorry, know. sorry, real quick. Do you have a topper on yours or is it just mm -hmm. open in your truck? Okay. Yeah. So that's one of the challenges. So I did, I always have a topper. I mean, uh, I, I used to have a Toyota Tacoma back in the day and I ended up getting a shell on it. And then after that I was, never owned a truck that didn't have a camper shell on it. Sure. And I've heard once I, you go topper, you never go back. I think so. For me, I like to sleep in the back of the truck. I think it's like a, like a, it basically it's your portable tent. Yeah. Um, everything's right there. And so I will always have it because I always, it's just, it's an easy place to, uh, to set up your sleep system. So, sure. um, but yeah, no, the deck is great. I mean, I always laugh, you know, because I do have OCD and I, and I just think it is, it makes my OCD so happy yeah. <laughs> uh, to have this organization. Uh, and so, you know, I, I keep on the right side to keep all my recovery gear and extra food and um, a bunch of stuff. And then on the left side is all my stuff that gets moved out on a regular basis. So, you know, 
my pack goes in there. I have some recovery boards in there. I've got my shotgun that goes in there. I've got all my, my collars that go in there, my yep. handheld, all the stuff that's going to be moving in and out on a frequent basis yeah. goes on the left side. All the stuff that stays in there and doesn't move goes on the right. Um, and, and then, you know, my truck, so I have a full size, although it's a half ton, I have that full size Dodge Ram 1500, okay. uh, and I've had it for many years, but mine never came with a locking real rear, rear tailgate. Oh, okay. So I had that, I never had that feature. So that I mean, there was no way to actually really secure, secure anything, yeah, anything totally. in the back of my truck. So even when I had the topper that had the locking keys, uh, for, for the, for the, for the rear window, you could still just open my, <laughs> open my rear tailgate and oh, get no, inside. There's so, a problem with that. There's a problem. Well, uh, you know, and so I ended up, uh, I ended up recently just buying an aftermarket, uh, just handle and just, and just basically fitting the tailgate with that. So it does work now. So I do have it and it is, it is able to lock. Um, but everything is, everything is very well secured. I know where everything is. Um, and it's just really nice because I do rely on my truck. My truck is an extension uh, of sort of myself when I'm out hunting. So I do know, and I have experienced it. And, you know, when I break, if I break down, I can survive. Sure. Um, if something catastrophic happens, at least I, if I can get to my truck, I have a good chance. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard you talk about that actually quite a bit on the podcast, um, mm-hmm. just on kind of like being prepared for those things that you're saying. You, I mean, it sounds like you're carrying quite a bit of, you know, like you said, recovery gear um, mm-hmm. with you. And, and is that just because of the train you're hunting in? Mainly? Yeah, absolutely. I, I just think there's no reason not to, especially when you own a truck, you have the space for it. Even if you didn't have a deck system and you could just put things in a tote, um, there's no reason because it doesn't take up that much space mm-hmm. to have all that stuff and be prepared. You know, it's, it's an insurance policy, you know, mm-hmm. just like insurance policies for your car. It shouldn't call it be called insurance policy. It should be called in case shit happens because that's the only <laughs> sure. time you ever need it. Right. Of you course. <laughs> and so, fair point. Uh, you know, I, I just saw so all that stuff it has come in handy at some point. Toe straps have come in handy. I've needed them. Chains, I've needed them. Um, chain, being able to change a tire, I've needed that. I got a patch kit too. I haven't needed that, but I've got the spare tire. Sure. Um, you know, extra food, I've needed. Extra water, I've needed. Yeah. Having, I carry extra set of sunglasses and gaiters in there for my kids. And so, you know, oh. we go to the lake and they're like, I didn't bring my sunglasses. Yep. I can open the back up and I'm yep. here you go. Dad's got you. So, so dad's squared away. It's like dad's big man purse, mm-hmm. you know? And so, <laughs> uh, you know, everything that should, that is. Should be, I, that should be Dex's new slogan. Dad's new man purse. <laughs> yes. Could be mom's new woman purse too. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're just, they're very convenient. And I spend so much time in my truck during the season, traveling around to hunt that it's just nice to have everything secured. It's nice to have a platform to sleep on. And the only downfall for me was that I do run an extra large kennel for both the dogs because I like to keep them both in one kennel. Um, for instances, when I like to sleep in the back, having two kennels in the back, uh, just obviously take up the entire breadth of the the back. So it's hard to sort of get yourself into sleep and I'm six, two. So, I take up the entire back of sure. one side. So having them in an extra large kennel, it helps me to kind of keep them more, keep them secure. They actually can, you know, obviously feed off each other's body heat as well. Sure. Um, now, are you but, running a raised, a, a topper that's a little bit slightly higher or is it? Well, that's flush? what I was going to, that's oh, what okay. I was going to say. I have just a regular flat top. And okay. so the extra large kennel won't fit in. Oh, okay. Now I haven't tried to loosen the, the topper to lift it, okay. to okay. then put it in because I actually use just like you have in your garage. Um, my dogs sleep in their kennels at night. So sure. I use it. So for me, yeah. it was a matter I'd always, you know, 
when we would leave, I'd put it in there, load the dogs up. When I got home, I'd let the dogs out, take it down, put it back in the garage and they would sleep in there at night. So I move it too much to Mm -hmm. keep it in the back of my truck the entire time. So I do. So the only one that fits in there is a medium, like a medium large fits in the back with the deck system and the topper. Um, So that's, uh, that's kind of for me, like the only bummer because now I'm in a situation where I'm like, well, you know what I do with my kennels, you know, like I can't <laughs> right. get them in. Yeah. Um, so I'm I, sort of I, in that. Yeah. I experienced laundry. a very similar thing to what you're saying. I I've had to play with that a little bit. Cause same deal. I, I did some measuring before I got my deck and I was like, yeah, I think, it, I think what I have will work. And, uh, unfortunately it didn't. And, uh, I had to kind of, uh, switch things up a little bit and kind of went, went back to the intermediate rufflings just to, cause they, again, could slide in and out really easy. So just yeah. you have to do what you gotta do. It is something just to be considerate, you know, to, to consider, uh, when kind of going that route. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of, in terms of my ability to organize my life, I love it. <laughs> good. I really do. That's good. Well, I, uh, as you were talking, I, I just kind of realized, I don't think I actually introduced you. So put us on the map and also just tell us a little bit, uh, you know, who, who you are and a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, my name is Travis Warren and I am the host of the Upchecker podcast, upchecker.com. And, uh, I mean, really anything involving chucker hunting is, is really where, uh, my focus is. And so I live out in Nevada. I live outside of Reno. So I live right in the heart of chucker country. And that's pretty much what started it all for me was I was just a chucker hunter and I thought it'd be fun to maybe write a story, uh, maybe start to write a little bit. Uh, and so I, I sat down and and wrote and ended up writing a couple of stories and I sent them to a friend and my friend said, you should start your own blog. So that's kind of where Upchucker came from. And then it has just been sort of a snowball from there. And so now, you know, obviously, uh, you know, running and producing and hosting the podcast, which, you know, all the same difference for you. I mean, you can say those words, but it doesn't really make you, it, it just, that's what it takes to do a podcast. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a lot behind the scenes. And and so, uh, yeah, it's been three years and I've, uh, I've really enjoyed the entire journey because more so than anything, I've actually really, I've met some of the most wonderful people that I would never have met otherwise mm. had I not taken the leap and just tried. Mm. So that's, that for me has been the biggest reward and, and some, something I cherish the most from the effort that I put in is just the, they're really just a genuinely great people that I've met along the way. Yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. I love it. I've, um, yeah, so I, I tuned into your podcast probably right around when I got my first dog. And, uh, mm-hmm. I remember some of those early episodes and, and you were sharing a little bit about just chucker hunting. And I was a new, new upland hunter. And I'm like, what the hell is a chucker? <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, what, you know, what is this thing? So, um, your podcast has definitely, uh, definitely helped open my eyes to, uh, those, those little devil birds. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. I, I didn't really realize, nor did I expect uh, anybody to really uh, find it interesting. Um, but I've actually realized that there's people all across the world that really enjoy chucker hunting. And I've, and I really have discovered this much larger community outside my own little sphere of, of understanding, which um, I think it just in terms of a global perspective makes, makes life just so much more interesting and so much more colorful and, and uh, I just think so much more rich. So, you know, it's, it's amazing sort of the un- unintended result is, you know, you're learning so much. I'm learning so much about different cultures, different countries, uh, different people, and this commonality, this thread 
is, is chucker hunting. And it's the way that you do it and the terrain you find yourself in is just, it's, it's actually quite universal in how it looks um, across the board. And it's, it's, it's just amazing. It's really interesting uh, and really keeps me engaged. That's cool, man. That's cool. Uh, would you mind sharing uh, briefly just a little bit of your story on, on how you got started hunting? Is it something you grew up doing or did you get into it later in life? I ended up not uh, hunting as a kid. Um, you know, we were into dirt bike racing uh, and I was in skateboarding and that was really what took my life up. Um, my dad built and raced uh, race boats down Southern California and it wasn't until I met my wife uh, that I really actually started. I, I really started considering hunting as anything, something that I'd like to do. <clears throat> and I didn't, I, I didn't really have any idea about social media, didn't have any of that crap. Um, it was more or less that my wife's father is a huge hunter, a huge fisherman, and really doesn't have much interest in talking about anything else. And uh, um, I realized that my interests didn't align with his. And so having conversations was quite a challenge. And uh, I, I really wanted him to like me. And so I started to uh, sort of have an interest in, in hunting more so to have things to talk <laughs> about. And, I, you know, I, I wanted to marry my wife. I wanted him to like <laughs> me enough to say it was okay. And Smart to have man. His blessing. Smart and man. So, yeah. So, you know, it wasn't a straight road. Um, it was, you know, I'm, I'm, he introduced me to hunting. He used to raise chucker and pheasant. He had a, he had a, he had a cocker and not a cocker spaniel, but he had a, um, um, a Springer spaniel. And so he hunted chucker here. It was a big part of his life, but as he got older and his dog died, he just never chucker hunted again. And so, um, but it was, it was something that kind of came up in conversation and then it wasn't until a buddy of mine, actually, uh, that I lived around the corner from was in the chucker hunting and he invited me to go with him. Um, and so my dad had actually, my father-in-law had won this Remington 870 at a, at a, like a ducks unlimited banquet or something and gave me my first shotgun. And so I went out, tried it and I just enjoyed, I enjoyed, uh, hanging out with my buddy and he had a dog that wasn't worth a shit. And I think we shot like one time and the thing ran off and we spent a ton of time looking for it. And, but it was still a good time. We, we, we had a good time. We didn't shoot anything. It actually took me uh, quite a number of years to shoot my first chucker. Uh, so I just kind of kept just working my butt off trying to, to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, but I was collecting stories along the way. And they were stories I was able to share with my father-in-law. We talked and he would share his wisdom and his experiences and give me some advice and so it was just a, it was a really great way for me to develop a relationship with somebody with a man that I would probably still have a challenged relationship to this day with, had I not picked it up. Sure. And his advice to me from the very beginning was always, you know, Hey, Travis is great. You know, you can come hunting with me, but I just like to do this to get out. I'm not, I don't care if I shoot anything. I don't care if I see anything. I, I just, it's an excuse to get out of the house. So you need to find people your own age, that your own mm. fitness level, uh, <laughs> that, that want to hunt the way that you want to hunt. So, um, that was, that was actually, um, some of the best advice I ever got. Mm. And, uh, yeah, just, um, it was a matter of starting to look outside myself, see if, you know, who around me was interested in this and then having people who were open enough to take me out. And then eventually, it was just something that I decided, you know, it was something that grew into, um, this, this, 
this thing that I just, I just love doing mm-hmm. and I just get excited about it. And it's become part of my own identity now as, as being a chucker hunter. And sure. so had I never met my wife and there, I maybe I, I probably would never have been a hunter to be totally honest with you. Wow. I, I can't imagine maybe there being another nexus to make it happen. Sure. So I was really, That's... at the end of the day, became a hunter because I just wanted my father a lot of like, <laughs> and look where you are now. <laughs> and that's, that's the real, that's, that's the honest to God truth. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty unique story, man. I, I love that. Um, being in the, being in Reno, Nevada is, um, is chucker hunting. Is it still, I, I guess I shouldn't say still, is it a very niche hunting opportunity? Oh, yeah. it, okay. Is it pretty well, hard to find not, people that are? Not, no, it's not a niche hunting opportunity. Uh, it's a niche hunting market. That's okay. for sure. But we like it that way. Um, you know, I, I think you sort of find it along the same lines as your backcountry elk hunters. I think it's an aspirational type of endeavor for people who don't live here or, or where you have access to, um, to chucker. But there's a ton of chucker hunters here. Excuse me. There's a ton of chucker, you know, anywhere within chucker country, you're going to find a ton of chucker hunters because it's something that is, uh, it's a hell of a challenge. It's, it's, it seems to be generational in terms of, um, you know, it's, it's something that's passed down. It's something that you start doing with your, you know, your grandpa or your dad or your uncle, and you just sort of, you just sort of chucker hunt, you know, probably like you sit in a whitetail blind, you know, if you lived in back East somewhere, it's like, so there's this generational chucker camps that happen, these sort of, it's definitely something that I've noticed over the years where, you know, guys that I know still go out with their dads or their grandpas and, you know, and so it's, it's a big part of what we do here. And it's a big part of, it's a big part of the style of hunting that I think most Western hunters really like to do. Mm. You know, they like to be because well, it has uh, some a flavor of of uh, big game honey. Is that true? You think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the train. Well, the... Yeah, I think I think in a lot of ways, I think probably physically, it requires a lot more uh, than some of your big game hunting. Um, I mean, if you think about it, you know, I mean, you can hunt mule deer out of a side by side. I mean, you mm-hmm. can drive around in glass for mule deer, and then you see one that's relatively close enough for you to hike to. You could go and shoot one, and mm-hmm. then you'd be over with that doesn't really work that way with chucker hunting chucker hunting. I think has, there's a, I think chucker hunting can directly translate to hard hunting hmm. uh, because you're, you're, and you're, you have to go out into places where there's not many people. Um, you have to really push into places to find birds, to find birds, maybe that are not as pressured as other ones. So there's a real adventure uh, associated with chucker hunting. And, and it's hard work because regardless of whether or not you find them on the first hill or the 10th hill, you got to go get them. Hmm. Um, there's no really hunting them out of a side-by-side or <laughs> sure. driving down. Sometimes you get lucky and you drive down the road and they're flying off the road and you just slam <laughs> the brakes on and you go on a, you go on a quick walkabout. But I mean, for the most part, you, you're going to drive somewhere, you're going to drive to the base of a mountain and you have to start hiking. Hmm. And some days it works out well for you. Some days it's harder than hell. Um, but either way, there's some sweat equity that's going to be paid in order yeah. for you to end up beating a bird. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So I just think that it, it just aligns itself with sort of the um, the the tough-minded people you find out here. That's cool, man. That's really cool. Hey, how uh, how was this past season for you? What uh, what was the what were the Chucker Hills like for you? Uh, you know, in the very beginning, they were okay, uh, and then there was a real big sort of drought for in, in the middle portion. It seemed like we didn't get a ton of weather. We didn't get a ton of significant weather. 
Um, it seemed like winter sort of took a while to get here too. Mm. So it was hot for a long, a longer period of time than I, I can remember. Um, so that did. And what, I think what, what happened with that was that it, it, uh, that and the pandemic, um, put a lot more people out there and a lot more people who didn't really understand etiquette. Um, so you, you would go somewhere you get people showing up and, and, and parking next to you and hunting the same hill. And so, you know, you, you got people who great, I think it's fantastic. They get out and they want to try something new. Um, I think the pandemic was probably for nothing better. It actually got people outside their own homes and sure. got them to sort of re reconnect with nature. Um, but you had a lot more people and a lot more continuous pressure because people weren't going to work. So you had people hunting throughout the week uh, when traditionally the birds would have an opportunity to rest during the week, uh, maybe a little bit of pressure, but they would rest during the week and then it would be, you know, game on for the weekend. So the birds seem to be pressured. And so the heat, the dry temperatures and the pressure seemed to really mess with them a lot. And they were really jumpy or they were really scattered out. Uh, and then some weather started coming in and then really it was traditionally like it was in the latter portions of the every season where it just gets, I think it just gets really good. You get less people going out because the weather's not very good anymore. It's harder to access places. Uh, and then you really sort of start to parse out, you know, the real chucker hunters from, <laughs> from the fair weather chucker hunters, sure. and, you know, uh, and then, yeah, you end up getting, you end up getting into some bird, good bird numbers. We've got into some great bird numbers towards the end of the season. Nice. Um, great dog work. And so it was, a, it was a ton of fun. You know, I transitioned into, uh, into a 20 gauge, uh, over under this year. So there was a learning curve with that. Nice. Um, <sighs> So there's a learning curve with that. There's a learning curve with, you know, accessing shotgun, you know, consistently the same shotgun shells because there was a limit on it. You know, (laughs) they were at a premium. So, you know, for me, it was a lot of trial and error. And even through the summer, still kind of messing with some stuff, messing with some loads, messing with some chokes and just kind of finding out what the best is. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this season. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. What, um, what, uh, over under did you uh, go with? I got that Franke SLX. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So I, got, I have a, the LX. It's a great gun. Yeah. I have, uh, I have a, I have a Franke. So I have this Franke 12 gauge. It's part of, um, like the L series, but it was one that they made special for Dick sporting goods. Okay. So it came with basic, it's like a bare bones, 12 gauge L. So it came with nothing. It came with no chokes, came with oh, wow. no case. It didn't, it didn't come with anything. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> yeah. So I actually got that off of a sales rack. It was brand okay. new. Somebody traded it in. So I got it for like 600 bucks. And, and that okay. actually is one of the reasons why I really liked Frankie was because I bought that gun and the cast is pretty neutral. So I'm a left-handed shooter. Oh, okay. So for me trying to find a gun that seats well, um, it, you know, has been a challenge sure. over the years. And so I've actually just shot right-handed guns, but actually the Frankie actually makes a pretty decently, uh, neutral cast nice. as much as I can, I'm going to be able to find sure. uh, in an over under. So yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, I'm, one of the things, one of the big learning curves too, was going from swinging a plank, which is a 12 gauge, mm. to swinging, <laughs> you know, yeah. swinging something that's much a, lighter. So big difference. So timing for shots and things like that. And that gun actually seems to only like the modified choke. Okay. Every, every time I'd use a different choke, like a light modified or an improved cylinder or something like that, it just, 
the patterns would get hmm. just all kind of weird. Okay. But the modified seemed just to be the one that it liked the so most. If you're running, the best. running a modified in both top and, top and bottom. Yeah, this okay. is that's what I did in the off season. I ended up buying another modified choke, and I just run modified top and nice. bottom. I mean, I figured the rationale being is that if you were to hunt with a semi-automatic, you only have one shot, sure. one choke anyways. And so if you're, you know, generally you're grabbing for your modified. Yeah. So it, it seems to be the easiest one. So, you know, if, if I'm going to hunt with my, see, I have a Breda A400 Explorer as well. Okay. I'm going to hunt with that with a modified. I might as well just put modified, modified my sure. over-under and that call it sense. a day. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. I actually have not patterned my, uh, my over-under yet. I need to uh, probably get out there and do that. I, I picked it up last I think last year uh, I've had it for a full season. Um, and I just kind of left the chokes in that came with it and did good. So I haven't, I haven't messed with it too much, but well, and, you know, and I think out it, there and see what it does. Well, if you're shooting well with it, my, my opinion being, and, and take it for what it's worth. I'm not really a huge gun guy. Um, if you're already shooting well with it, I think if you, if you go pattern it, you, just might, leave start it alone. Screwing with, you might start <laughs> screwing with your mind. That's good advice. Actually, that's actually you really know? good advice for me. I just, I felt like there was times I'd shoot low, you know, I, I, you know, I'd have that right where I needed it to be and I'd shoot and then I'd see like the sagebrush below, like, yeah. you know, pepper. And I'm like, how the hell did that happen? Like, what the hell's going on? So, you know, I definitely, I definitely had some struggles last year. Um, so, but I think it's just, it seems like the modified choke is the one that it, it really likes the most. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, switching birds a little bit. Are you doing, or, or did you do last year, the Himalayan snowcock hunt? Or is that yeah, yeah I, did that, I did that twice. I oh, did that did twice last year. Okay. Very nice. Yeah. So I do that every year. Okay. Um, I do that every year for the last, this will be the fourth year I've been doing it. Um, got a bird the first two years. This last year, we tried a, tried a whole different area, an area I wanted to go and check out. We actually got onto birds, okay. um, but it was so dry up there that we ended up running out of water and we just, uh, we just couldn't live up there any longer. Um, sure. The birds, the birds outstayed us and it was a little bit different in terms of how you'd hunt them. Um, and then I came back. And so that was opening a weekend. And then I actually came back um, about a month and a half later and hunted um, back in a different spot with my buddy Jay and my other buddy Gerhardt. And we did great. I actually shot a bird, nice. uh, but I brought the 20, I brought the 20 gauge up there. Uh, the 20 gauges didn't have enough in it. Okay. Uh, even with three inch fours in it, it just did not have enough punch in it. To, oh, really? to, to, yeah. So, I mean, I hit the bird, the bird was doing the, you know, the, the dead bird shuffle on the ground. <laughs> and I, I swore I was like, that thing was dead to rights. Yeah. Uh, and it got back up and flew off. Like nothing no ever way. happened. Wow. Yeah. They're, they're really tough birds They're they're very similar in, in terms of their structure, in my opinion, as like a sage grouse. So like a oh, sage okay. grouse has a very strong back designed okay. to sort of uh, protect itself from predation. And I, you know, and so their wings create like a, like a shell, almost oh, like wow. on a hog, you know, on a okay. hog, their flanks get real, you know, become yeah. armor for them. Sure. Um, their wings and their back, I think just become like armor for them. And it's just, it's a lot to kind of get through to penetrate, um, to penetrate into a, to a deadly shot. So, uh, you definitely that if, if nothing more like that is really where you have to pattern, you have mm -hmm. to know your, you have to know what your gun's doing. You have to know what shot size your gun likes. You have to know where your pattern's at. Uh, that's the one where I really get very uh, particular about mm -hmm. patterning about sure. what I do, you know, shells I take because I don't want that to happen again. Cause that was a real big letdown. So yeah, that's, that's a bummer, man. <laughs> it is what, I mean, it's yeah. just hunting, you're not always going to be successful. Totally. It's yeah. just, 
it sucks to leave a potentially wounded bird out there, sure. you know, sure. especially a trophy like that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What, um, so for anyone out there listening to this, um, again, like, you know, a lot of new people getting into upland hunting, maybe chucker hunting is on their list. Um, just can you give a brief overview for someone who does not know, like what, uh, if you're a first time chucker hunter, you, you want to go chase chucker. What do they need mm-hmm. to know? I guess some of the basics, like what, to look for what not to look for some of that some of that, that well stuff. i think in, I, I think first and foremost you need to know what you're what you're looking for so you need to know what the bird looks like and i mean the bird's a very unique the very unique looking bird and it seems like it would stick out uh, but actually they blend in so incredibly mm-hmm. well to their terrain so i mean it's about a it's about a you know pounder size bird um it's sort of slate gray in color. It's got this black band that runs from the eyes down its neck. And so it's sort of really gives and encapsulates that idea that it's sort of like this devil bird, this bandit, you know, it's got this bandit stripe. Um, it's got bars along the side of its body, which kind of goes in line with a robber, you know, with the, with the bank robber face mask. Sure. Um, but then it's got these very prominent red beaks and red legs. And that's why it's called the red legged devil, um, or, you know, even red legged partridge or, or whatever, but most people just call it affectionately like a red legged devil because it's, it'll run uphill and then it'll fly downhill and it's, (laughs) and it's generally not very easy slopes. And so it's, it's, uh, there it's, and they have a very unique, uh, sound that they make, you know, Hunzel, you know, they whistle or whatever when they fly, you know, chucker when they fly or even when they're calling to each other, you know, they make a very distinct sound. And so a lot of the times, even when I have my dog, I'll listen, I'll stop. I'll try and catch my breath. I'll try and listen because it's a tell. You can hear them calling. It's almost like they can't. They're very gregarious bird. They're very social bird. They like to move around. They like to be in groups. And so with that being said, they're going to, they like to make noises to keep each other together, to know which we know where everybody is. So, um, you know, knowing what they look like is important in any fishing game that has a bird season for them, you can easily find, or you can just Google what a chucker looks like and sure. it'll show you, but generally you're not going to see, you're generally going to see them as they fly. So okay. knowing what that, they go with the with as they fly is okay. is kind of a tell as well, um, but even when you get in there, just listening for that. That's interesting. Is so yeah, you look you know listening is really important for when you go out, uh, and then really if you're to to get out there and to do it, you just really have to find a place that would be agreeable for a chucker. And so you're going to, you, they want to, they want a location that it's going to have some elevation and some, some angle to the slopes because they, like I said, they'll run uphill to get away from predators, but they'll also fly downhill. So they want some angle. So canyons, um, anything, you know, any, any steep slopes, sagebrush, cheatgrass, uh, bunch grass, uh, Water source is a very important thing to look for. If you can find a mountainside that looks pretty, pretty barren in regards to vegetation, there's a water source at the bottom. There's what we call rim rock or, you know, a, a sort of a, a rock that sort of encapsulates the top of it. Uh, they use that for shelter. Uh, you're probably going to be in a good place. And it's always good to start at the water source to see if you can see any, any signs of any crap 
mm-hmm. or any prints in the, in the, in the mud. Okay. And then, you know, they're going to have to water. And so they're going to come down there. So they're going to leave some evidence that they were there. So that's always a good way of starting. Gotcha. Okay. That's awesome. And, and as far as location goes for anyone wondering out there, is it literally just, you look at a hill and just say, I'm going to go to that one. And if it has water, that's a bonus. Uh, well, I mean, not always. I mean, I, I don't think there's ever a hard, fast rule. Uh, I think nature is nature is, and they'll do, it'll do what it wants to do. And you can find an ideal location and it could have no birds. It's mm-hmm. happened to me many times. Um, what you tend to find and what you tend to look for is the farther you go away from people or large populaces, the more likely it is you're going to find birds that have been uh, undisturbed that, you know, that you're probably going to have a bit of a higher likelihood of finding some or, or higher quantity of them. So uh, you could find, there could be three birds on a hillside and you could walk right by them and they'll never give themselves up. And so I, I think in Nevada, with 87% public accessible land sure. here, um, it, is, it can be a factor of you just look at a hillside and go. But I would say that, you know, you need to get away. Like, that doesn't always apply in Vegas. Vegas is not that way. Reno can be that way. Um, although I always, I'm always a bigger fan of getting a little bit farther away from the larger populaces. And then if you can find a water source, um, it's a good, it's a good place to start. Okay. Very cool. Have you, have you chased Chucker uh, other places than uh, Nevada? Yeah, I've been up to Idaho. Uh, I was out in Utah last year. Um, I've been to go to California. Um, so it's definitely, uh, each terrain is slightly different from the other. Uh, obviously there's reasons why that the birds are there and there's some similarities, but each state definitely has a, a, a very, it's own unique, uh, looking country, um, that, uh, that's actually, it's, it's just very interesting. Like when we were, when I was in Utah this past year, um, there was no available water up, up top. Mm, okay. The only way that the birds get water is when it snows or when it rains. And so, you know, we were hiking these massive mountains, uh, to get to the top and the birds were still up there. I mean, the birds were up there and you look at them and there's no water source at the bottom. So there's no free, at least free water source that you can see. Mm. Uh, so, you know, the birds are actually very hardy birds and they'll, they'll, you know, they'll uh, dig out wild onions, uh, and eat wild onions, uh, wild garlic, things like that to to get enough moisture to sustain themselves over the dry periods. Uh, but yeah, I mean, places like places like Utah were a lot more drier and a lot steeper than I thought, Hmm. uh, places like Idaho, at least where I went. Um, was just really that iconic looking, uh, Idaho chucker country. Um, California is, is very similar because we share a lot of the same mountain ranges. Um, Southern Nevada, obviously there are chucker down there. I've never actually ventured down there to hunt. So it, it looks a little bit different, sure. uh, than what I've seen just through pictures. Uh, and it looks a lot drier out there as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, and are, are they mostly yeah. eating bugs or, or, uh, for like grass or what are they, what are they eating? Up there on the mountains, you know, yeah, it's it's year dependent and it's it's the age of the bird dependent too. So a lot okay. of the bird, a lot of the young birds will eat insects and things like that. Okay. Um, you know, obviously green grasses are a huge staple of their diet. Okay. So it, when you can find water, and if there is if there's green grasses that are going up, that's going to be a real good indicator that something living is going to be around there. Whether it is 
chucker or whether it could be quail or sage grouse or huns or whatever. But, you know, those green grasses are, are huge. And you can generally look across the landscape because we're different out here. You're in Colorado, right? So yep. it's, it's somewhat similar, uh, probably on the West side more so where, you know, the, a lot of your view and the vistas are unencumbered by, by trees. You don't get a ton of trees. It's, it's very much open landscape. So sure. the, the benefit of that is that you can actually look across, you know, mile, two miles of m- yeah. open mountainside and you can see where moisture is. Mm. You can see where water might be coming out of. You can see by the green, by the, by the sure. stark That's difference nice. in the color of the vegetation. So those are good places to start in yeah. terms of looking for birds because they're going to have to water and they're going to look for those green grasses as the year progresses, you know, um, you know, you'll still get those green grasses that come up as snow melts, but they'll eat cheatgrass as well. Okay. So. Wow. That's awesome, man. Thanks for that. That's good advice. That's good. Uh, gives people a little idea of what to, uh, what to look for. Um, let's get into your dogs a little bit. What, uh, tell us about your dogs. Uh, what are you, what are you running? Uh, so I have a, a German short hair and I have a German wire hair. Okay. Uh, so my German short hair is coming on six and my wire hair is two. Um, this is something that I get, uh, very, uh, opinionated about. Uh, and what, what I mean by opinionated is I, as I mean that when you're, if you're really serious about wanting to get into bird dogs, you really need to do your homework. My first dog was, uh, I did the most amount of homework I thought I could do. Uh, and I ended up going with a breeder and I think I got, unfortunately what I got. Uh, so I got a 50% dog, which is what I call my, my wire, my <laughs> short hair. Uh, 50% of the time she shows up, she wants mm-hmm. to be a hunter. Uh, wow. other 50% of the time, uh, I have no idea what she's, uh, what her plan is in life. Interesting. Okay. Um, sometimes <laughs> it's just blowing out birds. Sometimes it's ruining her sister's points. Uh, so you know, she's a, she was a great first dog to get, okay. but I ended up getting a, I ended up getting a dog from a breeder who wasn't really into hunting. They did uh, field trials and stuff like that, but mostly okay. for points and they were really into show. Uh, so the dog looks fantastic. She's a beautiful dog, but you definitely, if you really want to get into bird hunting, do your homework and reach out to people. Because when I got my wire hair and when I got my wire hair, I did a, diligent. I did my diligence and I was really looking for a specific kind of dog. And I got my dog by the time it was one years old outperformed my, my Mm. five-year-old dog just, just running circles around her. And then as of last year, like when the second season, it was just like, I I would truthfully, I'd leave my other dog at home. Wow. And I would just, because for me, it wasn't any fun Mm. because if I was to take both of them, the the wire the, the short hair would blow points for my wire hair and i wouldn't even get shooting opportunities oh, wow. you know but i take that wire hair with me and she'll slam on point she'll hold that bird she'll hold that covey until you get there Jeez. and it was just it, it became it was fun it was yeah. everything i had envisioned to hunt to be so i think that this year i think this year is going to be slightly different it's taken my older dog a little bit of time to warm up to sure. the puppy and to really uh, accept a um a subordinate role too, in terms sure. of finding birds. Uh, Cause I think for so long, the older dog, just that was her job and she didn't want anybody else to have any fun. Sure. Uh, and certainly not this damn puppy. Uh, and so <laughs> like, get out of my territory. Well, I think a lot. She's re- I think she was really territorial in that regard. And so having the other dog, um, 
now they very much bonded. And so when I go out and I run them behind the house, we've got a ton of wild quail, the puppy will point. And now the older dog's starting to actually honor her point, which oh, wow. she would never, I'd, I'd never up to this point. I've never seen her honor another dog's point ever. Wow. Okay. I'd have to woe her into point. I'd have to shock her into point something just to make sure she didn't blow the, sure. the cubbies out. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's definitely one of those things where you're like, you don't know until you know the difference, sure. but how much do you contribute that to, um, because they're, they're different breeds, right? So do you contribute mm-hmm. it to maybe your wire hairs breed, or do you really contribute to the breeding of, of the, the short hair? I, I have two things. I think I breed, I do equate it to the breeding, uh, but I also equate it to the handler too. I mean, just, I think plain and simple. Sure. It was my first dog. So I can't give her all the blame. I accept responsibility uh, wholly as well. Uh, but then again, the argument being is that I spent four or five times as much time training the wire hair, uh, the short hair than I ever did with a short hair, uh, with a wire hair. The wire hair just picked it up a little, a little quicker, a little easier. She was like four, four or five months old pointing, pointing, you know, yeah. uh, planted pigeons at 30 yards away mm. and allow me to walk in front of her. Nice. There's just breeding, you know, it's yeah. just good breeding and good and genetics I you, and good genetics, good breeding, you know, um, it is just what it is. And sure. I think that for, I think that for me, it's, uh, it was an eye opener. Uh, I definitely had, I really haven't put a ton of effort into the wire hair. She's just naturally that just good. Kind of out of the box. She's ready to roll. We do some work. We do some cleaning up work with some pigeons and stuff. Um, but we run a lot on wild birds throughout the year. Uh, and I just think that she is, she just, it's what she was bred to do, yeah, you know, yeah. and, uh, it is, it's, it's just, it's sobering. Uh, but I, I take responsibility as, as much as I do for her. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's, I wish I would have known, um, because I spent a lot of time being frustrated and, you know, it's not, it's just not the way you want to jive. You know, you, you want to, you definitely want to, you want to get into hunting and you do want to hit the ground running. So I think that you definitely just do your homework. There's so much information out there so much more than when I was first getting into it. There's a ton of information out there. So I just think it's important that, you know, you reach out to people who have podcasts, you reach out to the breeders you see in Facebook and breeders, breeders you see in, um, you know, on, on Instagram or whatever. There's just so much more available information than when I first started, or at least I didn't know where to look. Sure. No, that's, that's really good advice. How, uh, how far are your dogs ranging in the trucker hills? Are they four or 500 yards closer, further? What are, what are they kind of typically? No. <clears throat> so the, the older dog, she'll range out. She's like a 150 yard dog at the most. Uh, and then uh, in that first season, I, I would see that puppy range out to 600 yards. It's not really, it's not feasible, nor, nor is it something I really care. <clears throat> sure to have my dog range out that far. Uh, it doesn't do anything for me. Um, but for me, like 150, 200 yards is perfect. If, even if they want to push out a little bit longer than that, um, that's fine. But for me, I mean, we had a great hunt towards the end of the season and she was pointing a cubby at like 220 yards, but it's 220 yards like this. And I mean, it took me four ever <laughs> to get to them because it's just, it's a steep it's shale, you know, sure. you take a step and you slide down. It's, it's, you know, 
it it's tough it's tough hunting um but i mean 600 yards out for a dog on point i mean those dog those birds may just start moving they may sure. just get up and start walking away <laughs> so you, by the time you get there they've moved off the dog's still stuck on point so yeah. i think there's a sweet spot so for me it's like that it's like the 150 200 yards okay um and I, that's how i like it that's awesome. As I was going to ask, I, uh, I sourced a couple of questions, uh, for a chuckle hunter on, uh, on Instagram last night. And, oh, okay. uh, someone asked, um, like, so uh, you specifically, but maybe just chucker hunters in general, what are you seeing as far as, uh, expectation for the dog? Are they steady to wing shot fall release? Are they steady to shot? Are they chasing on the floor? Like what's, what's kind of typical for, and, and a good, I guess, for a, of chucker dog. Oh, I think that that's everybody's individual, right? Um, from form, and I can only speak for myself. I I am 100% okay as long as that dog holds point and allows me to get up there and to flush the birds. The moment those birds fly, I'm okay with the dog releasing. Okay. Because by that time, I'll usually be in front of the dog or I'm, I'm angled off to the dog to the point where I can get my shots off. And those birds especially if I get a cripple or something like that, the dog's right on them and they can pick them up. Okay. So um, I, um, I, I personally, uh, I don't mind if they break off a of flush. Okay. Um, it, you know, that's just, that's just me. Um, I'm sure everybody has a different opinion or different feeling on it, but I think that there's a high likelihood that you could lose more birds if you make them hold until the very end. But Sure. everybody's dogs are different. I've seen so many different styles of dogs that do well. Um, but that's just for me. That's just yeah. what I'm, that's what I'm happy with. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, well, since I mentioned the uh, listener questions, if you don't mind, I'm going to go through just a couple of those as we uh, yeah. wrap up here and then we'll, uh, I don't want to keep you too late. It's, uh, getting late here as well, but, um, all right. What, uh, all right. We're going to go with what kind of boots do I need for chucker hunting? Um, I think it, I think it depends on the, I think it depends on the weather and it depends on the time of year. Uh, I find a chucker in, uh, trail runners because I left my boots at home. So, <laughs> so maybe not ideal, but you've done it. Yeah. I think in the early season, I do like, I think one of the best boots I've ever worn, although they'll not, they're not going to last you, uh, is the Solomon 40 GTXs. Uh, they're a light hiker. Uh, they have a rel- relatively good st- Stiff, sole, stiff insole, stiff midsole, um, but they flex still. You can definitely tell the difference when you're hiking wearing those in terms of wearing a true mountain boot because okay. my calves would actually get tired because mm-hmm. of the amount of work your leg has to do oh, as sure. opposed to being in, in a stiffer shank. Uh, but those are fantastic. I wore those uh, early season chucker hunting. I wore those. Um, I actually wore those for both of my um, uh, both of my snowcock hunts as well. Okay. which is, you know, 12, you know, 11,000 feet of elevation sure. and big mountain stuff. Um, so I, I just think those are fantastic boots, but they didn't last. I mean, okay. they were gone by the first third of the season. Oh, geez. The, the whole, the, yeah, the whole soul was starting to separate from oh, them. Gosh. So okay. it was, okay. yeah. So, uh, but I think that you need something that provides good ankle support. It's got to have some degree of stiffness in the midsole so that you can have some efficiency climbing hills. Um, I do like, uh, obviously I, I, I like my, uh, my Lathrops. Uh, I think you can find some great boots with crispy. I think you can find some great boots with Kenetrex. Okay. Uh, but when you start thinking about those sort of those bigger mountain boot styles, um, those are really going to be where I think you're going to get 
the most bang for your buck because they're going to last and they're going to actually provide you with safety and stability in mm-hmm. your foot and some actual and some good uh, energy saving um, sure. construction that allows you to actually conserve energy as you hike because your foot doesn't flex so much. Gotcha. Okay. Right on. Um, all right. Someone asked, uh, how far, Oh, we talked about this. How far are your dogs ranging or scaling? Uh, again, it's going to really depend for, for so many different people. It sounds like, um, just on, mm-hmm. on the train, your dogs, your style, all that. Uh, someone asked how much gold bond do you go through in a season? <laughs> <laughs> for some swass, huh? For some swamp ass. Yeah. That's, that's it's, a, it's a, it's a real thing, man. Yeah, it's a oh, real I'm sure, thing. I'm sure it'll, it'll take you out the game when you start getting rub raw. Oh, I bet. Uh, You're like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, um, no, you... Someone, someone asked, uh, what do chucker taste like? How do you, how I've had chucker, um, pen rays, not wild, but how do you, how would you describe what they taste like? Uh, it's a white meat still. Um, so it, it, uh, it definitely can take on the sort of a bit of the taste of, um, chucker guts, uh, sometimes <laughs> it's hard to explain, but it's, uh, it's not the nicest smell in the world. Uh, it can sometimes take that on. I think, I think it's more or less how you take care of it. But I mean, to be honest with you, we treat it just like chicken in my household. Okay. So we breast them out and I'll take the whole, I'll take the whole body breast and legs and I put them in a crock pot and I, I, I let it slow cook. Oh, there you go. And what I, what that does for me is that say I'm able to take every piece of meat off of it. And then I just use it in anything that I would use traditional chicken in. It's, okay. it's going to be a less, it's not going to be a substantial um, but you can actually then take that. I make chucker enchiladas with them. I make chucker tacos I make oh, chucker nice. spaghetti sauce. I make, um, chucker chili. And so, you know, really anything that you would use chicken for, you just can, you just can substitute Sub- for chucker substitute. Yeah. Um, so it does, it's a very, it's a, it's a white meat. It, it tastes very light. It's a very easy chicken substitute. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, another one, uh, it's actually funny. You'd be surprised how many I got that said, where are their honey holes? <laughs> it's a yeah. stupid amount. Oh my gosh. Well, that's all right. Well, you never um, know. If you you yeah. never get it. If you never ask. Yeah. That's true. That's true. So, so kudos for asking. Um, yeah. someone said, uh, do they condition themselves for the hill climbing? Why don't you t- take that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's kind yeah, of I think, Well, and I, and I think that that's one of the things when you talk about people who really um, identify as chucker hunters. It's, it's, a, it is a, it's a year round thought process. Um, so, I mean, for me, I train, uh, heavily in Brazilian jiu-jitsu I've been doing it for 13 plus years. And so for me, it's a great base for cardio. As long as I continue, continue to roll, uh, I will always have a, a great base of cardio, but you do have to get out there and, and put your hiking legs on. Sure. So, uh, you definitely want to condition, and whether you use a step, whether you use a stepper, whether you, you know, just do bodyweight exercises in your house and your garage. Um, but I mean, thankful for me, I've got big mountains behind me, literally sure. like across the street. So I could just, I take the dogs up there and we just do basically, we just hike. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you do, you do, because if you don't, what happens for both you and your dog is you spend the first month just trying to get your lungs back, hmm. trying to get your legs back. Um, I think you really sort of take away some of the enjoyment too, because you're sort of trying to get back in shape, sure. using the season to get back in shape. And so you sort of, uh, you're sort of sucking wind for the first month or so. 
until you're kind of back in it. Um, so I think that if you're serious about it, if it's really something that you love to do, you're just gonna, you're just gonna keep some form of a training routine sure. to keep your lungs and your legs. That's really what you need. Okay. And, and I guess along that, along those lines with dogs are, uh, so someone may be coming from, you know, where they don't have mountains in their backyard, you know, running dogs on gravel or something like that to condition their pads. Is that, oh, yeah. is that kind of the best you could do to get your dog's pads ready for that? Because that's a wicked terrain. Yeah. And it's interesting because I never even think about it, you know, because it, it's just something we just, but the, my dog's pads are so tough because we just run on the rim rock. We run on the nasty stuff all year long. So yeah, if you're coming from an area where you don't have that, you're going to want to do what you can. I know that, uh, you can put some stuff on there that helps to tie toughen their pads. I don't know what it's called. Um, but yeah, you want to kind of get them off the grass. You want to get them on some gravel roads. You want to get them on something to where as they, they really start to build some calluses up on those pads and sure. uh, calluses or whatever, but at least start building up the, the toughen those pads up so yep. that, because that's probably one of the bigger challenges if you're coming from out of, out of state or, or just from a different hunting style or, or uh, is your dog's feet. And obviously the easiest way, to, you know, is just to get dog boots. Sure. or to make your own dog boots or to carry them with you. Um, because if you get to that point where your dog does blow a pad, at least you can tape them up and yeah. they can keep hunting and you don't have to just stick them up because it's a, can be a long drive sure. um, for blown out pads, especially if you only have one dog. Yeah. So that'd be tough. You either, you either start them off early with pads uh, with, with booties on or toughen them up and then okay. just use them as need be. Right on. All right. Uh, last one of these questions. Uh, how many times do you hit the same spot? I think it depends on how good it is. So, um, you'll run across spots that are just absolutely chock full of birds. Uh, and so I don't think there's anything wrong with it two or three times a year. Um, but I think anything more than two or three times, I think is just too much. I think it stifles your adventurous, the adventurous spirit of chucker hunting. I think it stifles your ability to find new spots because places that were honey holes for me three years ago, pretty much dried up. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you go back there and all of a sudden there's no birds anymore, or the birds are a very, very small amount. They moved off somewhere else. And so if you don't go out and find new spots, if you only hunt those spots the same amount of times, then you get to that point where you don't have any new spots to go to and you're kind of up shit Creek without a paddle <laughs> and you have to spend the rest of your year scouting for the most part. <laughs> sure. Um, and so I think if it's, if it's an absolute gold mine, I think you could hit it two or three times okay. in a season because seasons are like five and a half, six months long. Yeah. You guys and, you have a long season. Yeah. I think you'd be, you know, you'd be fine doing that. Um, but yeah, I think that for me, I try to challenge myself. I try and go to a new spot every weekend, but you know, time constraints, time constraints are sometimes what they are sure. and you can hunt the same hill, but you can hunt it a totally different way hmm. and hit birds. You've never hit before by just going a different direction. Yeah. So that's, that's good, man. That's really good. Um, all right. Two, uh, two last questions here for you, if you don't mind, um, t talk to the new upland hunter out there, um, upland hunter, trucker hunter, whatever it might be. They, let's say they're heading into their first season. Uh, what's a piece of advice that you would, uh, you'd give them? I think temper your expectations. Hmm. I think that, um, I think that if it's something kind of like we talked about with podcasting, you know, if it's something that you really have a desire to do for a long period of time, um, you sort of have to temper it in order for your, in order for you to have some attainable 
uh, goals. And so, you know, by realizing that just because a limit is six doesn't mean you're even going to touch that in the first year. Um, you might shoot two birds in the first year and that's okay because what you've done is you've, you, it's a, it's a, it's a much sweeter accomplishment when it happens. Uh, and I think you learn to respect without anthropomorphizing a bird too much. You learn to respect it, uh, way more than if it were just basically jumped up in your lap. Uh, and I think when you do that, you take on a whole new uh, understanding of what it means to be a chucker hunter and what it means to be a bird hunter, what it means to be a hunter in general, uh, is that it is, uh, it's a hundred percent about the experience and not just, uh, about, about the end result. Although I will tell you that it, it's an important factor to keep people coming. That's why they stock little trout ponds for kids, right? Because they want them to catch fish so that they get excited and want to keep doing it. Right. Sure. Um, but I mean, it's, it's important to understand that, that when you decide that, that you want to be a hunter, that there is going to be a lot of lows and there's going to be highs. And so you learn to, ex you learn to enjoy them each for their own reasons and you never lose. You'll, if you have the opinion, if you have the attitude, if you, you're never going to lose, you're always going to learn. Then every day that you go out, you get better. And then eventually you unlock the riddle. And so then it gets to the point where you go out and you actually have continued success. And then you actually then can start introducing maybe other people to it in a way that maybe is quicker. And much like, and much like in martial arts, you know, in jujitsu, my, my, my professor has always said, he goes, my goal is that you get better faster than I did, hmm. because that means I'm doing something good, hmm. right? It should be that you are getting better faster than me um, because I've learned the things that I was doing wrong hmm. and I can teach you to avoid those. Same thing with, but they same things with, with hunting or anything you do in life, right? If you're teaching somebody or if you're getting somebody else involved, hopefully if you're doing it right, you actually teach them to avoid the things that you maybe did that kind of hindered you for a number of number of years yeah. or a number of experiences. And so, um, yeah, but just temper your expectations. I just think that uh, go out there and have fun, learn, see, experience it, um, kind of, kind of get your chi on in terms of, you know, get, becoming one with nature. Because I tell you, I just, for me, it's a place that I go where, you know, I just get to just shed everything, get to shed all of the stresses, all of the obligations of, of life and just get to exist hmm. and be at the, be in the moment. And, and I think that that's the, that's the best part about, that's the best part about being out there is that for me, it's just my own, my own little time to center myself. It's like a surfer going surfing, yeah. right? You know, they always say, if I go into the water, I go into the water, I get out better than when I went in. Hmm. And if that somehow translates to how I interact with the world, the world's a better place. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because that was, that was a hell of a, uh, a closing statement right there, man. <laughs> was, I, I like to ask every guest this and just get their, yeah, get their thoughts on, you know, everyone's at a different spot. I talked to a lot of people who are brand new, talk to people who've been doing this for 10 years, three years, whatever it might be. And I just find it fascinating hearing the different perspectives, kind of like what you're sharing just on, um, Hey, what, you know, you want someone to get better faster than you, than, than you learned. I think that's, that's a really fascinating concept. That's really cool. I think if, I think if you're, Oh, if you really want, if you're really trying to help somebody, 
you're really trying to do something for somebody else. I don't really even like to use the word mentorship because I think it's so overused, like the sure. word passionate. I think it just gets overused <laughs> and it becomes, it becomes less impactful when you use it, right? But if you're taking somebody out, like a friend or gosh, even your wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, and you take them out for the first time, you want them to have a good experience. And sure. if you're, it, and you should, they should be getting better faster than you. Yeah. Because of all the things that you've learned, all the challenges that you've conquered and you've gone through, you should be able to help them to avoid those pitfalls. Totally. All right, dude. Uh, Rapid fire uh, section at the very end here. So ask you a couple questions and just give me kind of your off the cuff answer. And uh, we'll go from there. Uh, So first one, we kind of already answered. Uh, You're you're rocking the, uh, the Franke uh, SLX 20 gauge. That was your, it was going to ask what your, your gun of choice is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Second question, favorite dog breed besides the two you own. Um, man, I really hope one day to own a pointer. Hmm. I really, I do. I mean, I, I'd awesome like dogs. to, I, I'd like to own a pointer. I'd like to get one from my buddy, Ryan Mulcahy. Yeah, I'd like to get go. one of Ryan's. If I ever get, if I ever get, find myself in a position to get a pointer, I will get one from Ryan Mulcahy. I, I would be right there with you. That's it, it, He does some awesome work with his dogs. And I just listened to his recent episode he did with uh, Nick Larson. Dude, that was, that was a really, have you listened to that one yet? I, I haven't, but I've had oh. him Ryan on my, I've, I, yeah. Oh yeah. You've had him on. Yeah. Ryan and I, Ryan's such a good dude. He's so smart. He's yeah. got so much, so much information in that brain of his that, um, man, it's just, he's a, just a, he's been a wealth of knowledge. He's been a real great resource for me. Yeah. He's an awesome guy. Um, okay. How many species of, of birds have you shot over your dogs? Uh, one, two, three, four, uh, five. Okay. Nice. What's a, what's a bucket list bird or, or, a, or a bird you have not, uh, not shot yet or not harvested yet. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I have not shot a pheasant yet. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Never shot a pheasant. Tried, okay. tried, uh, twice. Okay. First time we just couldn't, we, we didn't have the right permits to get on the preserve. Uh, and then the second time, uh, we, we, we tried, it was just not happening. <laughs> not working. I out think, right I think, I think porcupines got in the way more so than anything. Oh no. I think, I think, I mean, I'm probably gonna take some crap for saying this, but I think pheasant are overrated just a tad. <laughs> well, I think it's just like chucker hunting. Right. I mean, we, we sort of, this is what we do. Right. Sure. So people are like, man, that's so, that's so rad. I'd like to do that one day. And it's like, yeah, yeah cool. I, I would like to actually just go on one of those pretty cool South Dakota pheasant hunts to be yeah. totally honest with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Just seems cool. I mean, yeah. it just looks fun. Something new, something different, new experience. I think that's it. I think I, I probably try it once and I'm done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I just, yeah. Yeah. You want to try it? That's yeah, awesome. I think so. All right. Two more here. Uh, beverage of choice after a hunt. Uh, you're going to laugh, but coconut water. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's a first. That's a first for the Up One Rookie podcast. I definitely don't, uh, I, I'm not really one to drink after I hunt mostly because it's like a two, three hour drive to get home. Sure. And I'm that guy who drinks a beer and starts getting real tired. All my motivation <laughs> goes. So I'm with, you. I I'm with you. I don't normally drink if I have to drive anywhere. Um, mostly because I just, <laughs> mostly because it's just, uh, I don't want to end up having to just pull over and sleep in my truck and yep. 
So I'm just so tired by the end of it. I just need something just to boost me so I can get home. Once I'm home and then once I'm home, then I crack open beer. But okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, man. I guess I'm a little <laughs> no. boring that way. No, I like these unique answers. I think coconut water is, is might be a one and only uh, in the history of this podcast, but we'll see. Pineapple coconut water too. Whoa, so. we're getting crazy now. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last, last one. And you can elaborate on this one a little bit, but I know you're, you're a big gear junkie. Um, I'm going to kind of turn the tables on you. What, uh, what's some gear you added uh, either last year that you've really found useful, helpful. Um, what's something you've added this year, maybe that you found uh, useful or helpful or you're yeah, really so, excited about. Uh, one of the things I did just add was um, a mimetic trauma kit. So I've had a possibles kit or an oh shit kit that I carry. Uh, and I wanted to do something a little bit more robust, uh, just because anything can happen out there in checker country. And so I wanted to have some more trauma related items that I could use. So, uh, I got a, a, a mimetic trauma kit that I now carry. It's got okay. a bunch of stuff, pressure bandages, as well as a tourniquet and things like that. So that I'm, I'm really excited about. And then, uh, man, really for the most part, uh, that's the only new thing so far that I have added. Um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, what, pretty much. What, uh, what, uh, pants are you rocking? Um, so I have a bunch of different ones that I do have, uh, but the ones, believe it or not, that I love the most, um, are these Eddie Bauer travel chinos <laughs> okay. that I bought from Costco for about 20 bucks. No way. Oh yeah. I laugh about it. I mean, I work with companies, but dude, I am like a Costco hunter. <laughs> I absolutely love, love I think Costco, I think if you're balling on a budget, then I think Costco definitely has some steals that you can find and to, to make it, to, to get some good stuff. And so awesome. I was really big into the, to the Wrangler pants. Um, I, my buddy introduced me to those. They're very much like, uh, like you would end up getting, uh, what are they called? Uh, Shit, I can't remember. Um, uh, like a, co- a corduroy, almost? Nope. No, no, no. They're they're a polyester. Okay. Like uh, they're uh, what is that brand called? They're, they're, they're made by Wrangler. Yeah, they're just like a oh. Wrangler outdoor pan. Wow, you can you can find them there. I mean, the only the crappy part with them is that they're just there's no. It doesn't seem like there's any uh, manufacturing. Um, like minimum standard. So okay. <laughs> like you could buy the same size and it, one would be way tighter than the other one. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. I ended up finding um, these Eddie Bauer, these Eddie Bauer travel chinos and they, the Costco here gets them every year okay. and uh, they are, uh, they dry super fast or they're, they're, they're stretchy um, and they just fit perfectly. I, I absolutely love them. Um, I've had them for two seasons now and they are still going strong. That that's awesome, man. But my, and my other ones that I do wear are the, uh, are the, and I have three different colors of them too, cause they are really good pants. The, uh, the first slide sawbuck pants. Oh yeah. Yep. I have those. So a little bit more spendy, uh, sure. a little bit more spendy, but also a, a very good pant. Uh, but man, I just, I love those power yeah. travel chinos. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, balling on a budget. I mean, check out your Costco, check out, you know, places like that. And dude, I, I'm a, I'll be the first one to say it. I call myself a Costco hunter. <laughs> the, uh, I, I have the, uh, so I have the saw bucks and the, I think it's the corrugate guide, the mm-hmm. little bit, a little bit lighter ones. I, yeah, I if, got those two. if we could marry those two pants together, cause I want the stretchy waistband in the saw buck mm-hmm. and they'd be the perfect pant. <laughs> 
That's I just well, lost I think they thing. make like a they make like a foundry pen or something like that now. Yeah, um, I saw that. I don't I don't I don't have them. I don't know what they like, but uh, um, yeah, I mean, it, it just really all depends. I yeah. just for for me, I just want something that dries really fast, and super stretchy, and something that breathes relatively well. Sure. Um, that doesn't give you swamp ass and those pants actually really damn good pants. Yeah. I, at least I think for 20 bucks, <laughs> hey, you can go wrong. You roll it 20 bucks. Of course you roll with those. What about, uh, what about your top? What do you rock in? Just rocking kind of a one layer thing when you're, when no, you're hiking, so that's, that's, that's when I get real, real particular, um, about what I wear because I do, I don't, my legs stay pretty decent cause I'm hiking. So they're, I don't wear thermals or anything underneath sure. it. I just straight pants. Um, but I always wear the, uh, the first light 150 wick, uh, crew, t- crew I always wear a t-shirt cause I, I do get hot. Sure. Uh, and then the bet, the absolute best, the best piece of gear <laughs> that first light makes, um, is their Klamath hoodie, which is okay. like a grid fleece. Okay. Uh, that thing I wear, I've got it again in three different colors and I wear it every time I go out hunting. It's the perfect layer. Oh, nice. Uh, it is absolutely the perfect layer. It breathes so well. Uh, it keeps you warm, keeps you okay. cool. Is it like a Merino uh, material? No, it's, or? A, it's a grid fleece. It's a fleece top. Okay. It's a grid oh, fleece. Wow. Um, and it's, it's got a perfect hoodie that nicely forms around. It's got a zip that goes, you know, what is it? Like a, like a half zip or whatever. I don't know how far it goes down, but okay. it goes down significantly far. Okay. Um, and yeah, just fin- absolute, the best piece, in my opinion, the best piece of gear that first light makes is that Klamath hoodie. Nice. Nice. Very cool. Well, Travis, I, uh, I think that's all I got for you, brother. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed, uh, just getting to know you a little more, getting to know your story, hearing more about Chucker. Uh, it's definitely got me excited. Uh, I've, I have a possibility of, uh, of going out to Utah this year, uh, later in the season. So we'll see if it happens, but, uh, this is, this has been really fun. Never know. Gotta get, get, get on the calendar, buddy. Cause that time will get eaten up. Yeah, it will. It will. I'm, I'm doing a lot of uh, early season hunting this year up in uh, North Dakota, Montana, things like that. So um, we'll see. We'll see if it happens. Grouse are definitely high on my list this year. Sharptail hunts, uh, sage grouse. So we'll see. We'll see if it happens. If not this year, uh, maybe next year, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. You always got to leave stuff for next year. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, man. So, um, what, uh, how can people get a hold of you if they have questions, podcasts, all that just up chucker? Sure. Yeah. You could actually, you could just uh, go on uptucker.com and you could just scroll down to the bottom. You can leave a comment and go straight to me. If you just want to reach me directly, you can just go to upchuckerpodcast at gmail.com and throw me an email that way. Um, or on Instagram, you can just direct message me. And my big thing is always getting back to people. So it's a, it's an important factor for me. Frustrated yeah. me in the very beginning, people never getting back to me. So yeah. I try to make sure that I return the, uh, return the courtesy that I wish I got yeah. to, to respond back to people. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Travis, thanks so much, man, for your time. This has been, uh, this has been a blast and uh, I'm sure we'll be, we'll be talking a lot more soon. Absolutely, man. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you again. See you, buddy. Bye-bye. Well, that is a wrap of episode 25 with Travis Warren of the Up Chucker podcast. Travis, once again, man, thank you so much. Uh, I've looked up to you for a long time and uh, love just hearing your story, your transparency, and um, yeah, just getting to know you on a little bit more personal level. And uh, yeah, I definitely want to go chase some chucker now. <laughs> I really do. 
<laughs> I, I, I've been saying that for the last few years and uh, definitely going to make some plans. Get out and chase those red-legged devils. Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember, share it with a friend. Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, thanks for all your support. Thanks for the messages. Thanks for just continuing to uh, engage and listen with this podcast. Um, it's really, really been a fun uh, thing to do. And uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy. Uh, stay tuned for next week, uh, another episode uh, next Tuesday. So anyways, that's all I got. You guys have a great rest of your week and take care. Hey, remember, if you're not lucky enough to hunt with or own a Brittany, don't worry. Any bird dog is better than no bird dog. Go put some miles on those boots and have fun. <laughs>